I want to begin by telling you why I chose this text. Paul is talking, as God said, to this young preacher, Timothy. And he begins this little paragraph by saying, Teach and urge these things. So he says to Timothy, when you're in front of your church, these are things that you ought to be talking to them Whoever teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that is in accord with godliness is conceited, understanding nothing. So, our sermon today is about authority, biblical authority in our lives. And so, by authority, I mean how seriously do I take it? Do I believe that it is something that speaks into my life and can teach me truth? That's where I'm headed with this. Uh, I don't mean authority in the sense of, you know, something uh, demanding or, or harsh or in that sense, in all the bad ways that we think of authority. So Paul is telling Timothy, Scripture has an authority. It has something to contribute to us. It has something to teach us. And I want you, in your work with that church, church in Ephesus probably, to teach them these things. We live in, a, in what's called a postmodern age. Postmodern meaning it's after the modern period. Well, I grew up in the modern period. The modern period was characterized by great trust, great faith in science great trust and great faith in uh, political power and its ability to, to save us as a nation. Uh, what else? Uh, belief in technology and all of, the, all of those sorts of things. Believing that they had within themselves the ability to help us pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We found out, however, that none of those assumptions were we saw World War II. We've seen war after war after war fought in our world. We saw Vietnam and all of the trauma caused our nation. All of the pain. Uh, we saw us, the U.S., withdraw from Vietnam without a victory. Uh, we've seen diseases that have resisted treatment. We've seen, we've seen death. We've seen faith in political systems fail us time after time. And so the response to that, to all of that, has been a growing cynicism in our nation. So you'll often hear people say things like, well, you can't trust that, and I'm not going to vaccinate my kids, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that, and it's because of this growing disenchantment and lack of faith in the systems that existed in our world, hence postmodern. You should really, when you think about postmodernism, think about the word skeptic. Because that is a very good defining word to describe that. Too. 
mindset of our culture and our age. You will find a deep questioning of everything and a rejection of the idea of knowable truth. Very important. A rejection of knowable truth. So we say that in logical ways. You have your truth, I have my truth. What's true to you may not be true to me. Different strokes for different folks. You can't say that's wrong. You can't tell me that's wrong. It may be wrong for you, but it may not be wrong for me. You hear that a lot. I even heard recently, missionaries shouldn't try to convert people. People are happy with what they believe we can want. And so behind that is the assumption or the belief that everyone has their own truth. And you shouldn't monkey around with Now, Relativistic statements are okay when it comes to the kind of shoes that I wear. I, I can't wear your kind of shoes. I have, uh, since uh, my 50s, begun to struggle with arches that are too high and cause me great grief. I finally found a pair of shoes that I really like. They're not particularly stylish. You know, you wouldn't wear them out dancing, but they're really comfortable for me. Uh, you would, you could use these sorts of statements about <clears throat> other things, about the kind of food that you like, uh, the kind of car that you like to drive. I was talking to a friend recently who just found out that he can't drive in uh, Priuses. Because of the magnetic field. So, yeah, okay, we can talk about things like that and say what you like or what you do or what you wear is good for you, but it's not good for me. What about these other, these other issues? These other things for which we seek some light? We want to know what is the best way to deal with this. How can I come out of this situation having my integrity intact and the other person being treated correctly? Whenever you start confronting any sort of issue in life, you really start talking about issues of ultimate truth. What's true? What's right? When I even use the word right, I'm starting to talk about the ultimate truth. Because you're either, I mean, you can't be right and wrong at the same time. You're either right or you're wrong. It's either true or it's not. The Bible's filled with stories about what happens when when there is no standard, when there is no rail that the society can run on. Before the world was flooded at the time of Noah, right Genesis says, every thought they had was continually evil. 
So at that point, God said, I give up. I give up. And the world has become so and so off filter in the way that it's going, I can no longer bear it. You hear the assumption there? The assumption of the text and of what God is saying is there is a right way to go. And we're not going that way. After conquering Canaan, uh, this is centuries later in the flood. Uh, we're told the Israelites did what was evil and they abandoned religion. Later, centuries later, when the country has now become a, a civilized nation and it has kings and all that, it splits. It splits in two. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. And about that time, the Bible says, Rehoboam, who was king of, becomes king of the southern two kingdoms, disregarded the advice of the older men and consulted and Rehoboam disregarded as true the counsel of the older man who said, Rehoboam, you really need to repent that your, your people are not going to like this. And then one other, one other text. Timothy <laughs> uh, Paul tells Timothy again. Remember this, in the last days there will be many troubles. These, there are people, uh, these people are against the truth. Their thinking has been ruined, and they are, have failed in trying to follow the faith. So Paul describes, we consider the latter times or these last days to be the time from the death of Christ. The Lord comes to the last day. And Paul says, what's going to be characteristic of people in the last time is their inability, their refusal to follow truth. He said, follow truth. The Bible assumes that it contains authority, that it contains truth, that it contains the rail on which we live our lives. William Jay was a, an anti-slavery apologist. He was one who carried the banner for anti-slavery. And he says, he who admits the authority of the Bible will not readily acknowledge that whatever is highly esteemed among men must be right. What Jay is saying is, if you believe the Bible, you don't just go around assuming that everything that you hear from mankind is going to be true. We've all laughed about that commercial with the woman saying that she heard it on the internet that her friend could prove and she's dating this French model, blah, blah, blah. Bonjour, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jay is saying, by the same token, that if you believe what the Bible is saying and you believe that there's something that's true, to which we must listen. Writers of Scripture consider their, their words to come from God. I talked to you last week a little bit about the self-consciousness of the writers of Scripture about where what they wrote was coming from. 
to Luke writes that after the release of Peter and John from jail, their friends said, Peter and John have just been released. They come to the house of their friends, which what their friends say. Sovereign Lord, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, why did the Gentiles it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through David. You see the attribution there? They're saying we consider what David wrote, what David said, to be inspired. Also, the Corinthians, we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So, Paul is saying, Holy Spirit was present and was inspiring the words which the writers of Scripture wrote. Now, I want to say that they weren't typewriters. It wasn't that they were receiving dictation. And I think there are a number of passages which indicate Luke, for example, says to Theophilus, I decided to write an account for you, Theophilus, about what I had seen in her. So you have this tension between Luke saying, I took initiative in this, but God speaking to Luke, as Luke does his <clears throat> Peter was unequivocal. He says in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one hundred percent because no prophecy ever came by human will, men and women moved by the Holy Spirit. So there's this, this interesting self-consciousness that you find throughout the Bible where the writers said, look, God has been at work in our life, and we recognize the inspiration that he has given us to put all this down. Inspiration is a... Uh, word which really means to breathe into somebody. To breathe into them. Have you ever been around somebody that uh, after you spent some time with them, you went, wow, I just feel so inspired. I feel like I'm a better person because of this time that I spent. That's the power of inspiration. So, inspiration gives divine sanction to the Holy Spirit. Inspiration says that God has been at work for the time before us. Recall from uh, last week when we talked about how Scripture came to us, uh, I told you that I think uh, personally that it is one of the most faith producing events that I can talk about when I look at the uniformity of Scripture, the number of manuscripts that we have, and I personally can only conclude that God is at work preserving all this Well, why is this important? Uh, <laughs> I forgot to save this as a PDF, and so Rich wasn't able to put it into a slide we will look at, but I, I wanted you to think about uh, two poles, or two ways of thinking about this. The vertical pole is Bible as inspired, 
And so if you're at the bottom of the stick, you you say, I don't think that's just that's just a bunch of people that got together, uh, not together, but started writing stuff, and they kind of invented it, and it's not inspired. All the way up to the top, where you think it's that God was at work on it. The bottom one is the Bible is valuable. So do I think it has anything to say to me today? Uh, it's an important thing to think about as we talk about the authority of Scripture in our lives. So if you're in the very bottom left corner, no inspiration and it doesn't really have anything to say to me valuable. And what you end up is somebody gets totally disregarded from the Bible, is interested, disrespectful, think that it's superstitious, really not a whole lot to say about the Bible. If you're at the top, the upper uh, left-hand corner, where uh, you think of it as inspired, but not particularly valuable, I think that's really where most Christians are, honestly. I think that most Christians, or a lot of Christians, too many Christians, think that, yeah, you know, I think God gave this, but I don't really think about it too much. I don't think about what it has to say to me. I don't really read it. I, I just kind of think it's interesting. So, James talks about the person that looks in the mirror and then promptly gets what he saw. I think that's where he's It's also a throughout words. It's somebody who says, yeah, I believe in God. But it makes absolutely no difference in them changing lives. If you think of the Bible as valuable but not inspired, um, my self-help book, you know, I can go there and I can find out stuff that's pretty interesting to me and helpful to me. Uh, I read it when I get in trouble. You know, if I'm depressed, I go to the Psalms and read that. It helps me out. I read when I'm curious. Is this David guy and what did Goliath do? It's no more valuable or no less valuable than a self-help book I can pick up the Barnes and Noble. That's valuable but not inspired. In the upper right-hand corner is where a person feels like the value of the Bible is valuable, highly valuable, and it's also inspired. And there you find a hunger and respect for Scripture, for people, a desire to obey it, an attempt to obey it. Somebody who, who reads the Word of God and like the Hebrew writer writes, feels if it goes down into our lives and make us, makes us think about who we are and who we ought to be with respect to God. What do you think you'll follow? And that's what we still follow. Well, a, a last uh, point, and that has to do with uh, how does the Bible interact with our lives? Hebrew writer says that the Bible is living and active, that's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces and divides. I think what the Hebrew writer is describing is something that has 
vitality crucial whenever we need, whenever we think about it. I'll bet you've had this experience. You read a text and you go, oh, I hope so now. Because I, I know that I'm not really more that's described. And, and you come away not feeling like somebody beats you up. Not, not in that sense, but somebody knows you. Really knows you. And is able to penetrate into that, that self-awareness. The Apostle Peter uses very similar language. And he says, we've been born and made to imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Same kind of words that Peter writes as potential. Uh, it's not, I'm reading uh, William Pollock's Pillars of the Earth. Uh, it's a thousand page book that my son's father in law And it's like a thread, but it is the most fascinating book I think I've ever read. It's really, really interesting. About building people. Well, it changed my life now. Totally fascinating life. Is living an active life? Uh, God's word has a quality to it that when it falls, works too much. I think we know what Peter and the Peter writer all experience of us seeing see books of recognition with this experience. <clears throat> that uh, the Word of God, unlike anything else, knows us and penetrates us and informs us and gives us life when we need it. Man once complained to Mark Twain, Mark Twain that the Bible was all jumbled up, inconsistent, and filled with passages he could not understand. And uh, Mark Twain replies, I have more difficulty with the passages I do understand than the passages I don't understand. Yeah, I get that. Someone astutely wrote, we need to go back to the Bible. We who have not read a word of it for many years. We need to buy a modern printing and translation and read the old, old word as if it were intended only for ourselves. We're not to be surprised if it does not put an end to all our problems. For the Bible is not intended to finish anything, but to start something. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, uses three illustrations in his book about your Christianity, but one of them is kind of a favorite of mine. He says, you know, I thought when God came into my life that he was going to be, uh, he was going to take my modest little project and smear some paint on it, put up some new curtains. Instead, he started ripping down walls and putting up towers. And Lewis says it's because God is going to come in. Turning his modest little cottage. That's the effect of God's word on us. So I wanted to talk about this today and this month that we're spending talking about the Bible, to get people thinking about what authority Scripture has in your life. And by that, I mean, how much do you allow it to 
God, we know that your word endures because of the value of making us alive. Please excite our spirits and make us come.